We are uh, wrapping up a series called Deconstructed, and next Sunday we will launch a new series. Uh, it's a four-week series called Spillover, and it will go from Easter to Mother's Day. And we're super excited about it, but today we're excited about uh, the opportunity of wrapping up this series, Deconstructed. And this morning's uh, title is Diversity. Diversity. And just so you know, if this is your first time with us this morning, uh, throughout the message I might refer to Paul or the Apostle Paul. And just so you're aware of who it is I'm referring to, uh, the Apostle Paul is the author of 1 Corinthians. Uh, He helped establish a church in Corinth, and uh, they have uh, written a letter to him, and this is his response to them. And so that's, uh, if you hear me say something about Paul, that's who I'm referring to. And so we're actually going to pick up, uh, wrapping up the end of chapter 12 in this series called Deconstructed has been um, a journey through chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And so we're wrapping up uh, chapter 12 from verses 27 to 31. And you can follow along on the screens if you want, if you don't have uh, a phone or some way to, to follow along. But here we go. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's open up in a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to come into this space and to create margin in our lives to uh, hear from you, to open up uh, the Bible and seek uh, truth and wisdom that's applicable for today. And so we pray that your presence would be in this place and that we would uh, leave here having had an encounter with the living God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, As I was uh, thinking through this message, uh, I I was really um, hit by a lot of different variations in my life of um, situations where there was like this this expectation for me to fit in fit in or fall in line and uh, there was one thing that one uh, situation or experience that that really stuck out to me quite a bit I, I worked in the cafeteria of my college for a time uh, in fact it was less than a week that I worked there uh, it did not bode well um, but I uh, I went there and I was just thinking, this will be perfect. Like, I'll make some extra money and I have the time to do it. And so I'll just go to the cafeteria. How complicated could it be? And so I show up and it's like immediate hire uh, for probably a lot of reasons that should have flagged me off right there. But um, they're like, hey, yeah, come right in. And so I came in and the first day I walk into the, this cafeteria, this back uh, area, and I walk in. The guy goes, ah, hmm. I'm like, how's it going? And he goes, we don't wear jeans. And I was like, we don't wear jeans? And he's like, yeah, no, we we don't wear jeans. I was like, okay, what do we wear? And he's like, we wear khakis or black dress pants. I was like, all right, well, no one told me that, so no problem. I I could definitely wear that next time. He's like, all right. And so he says, all right, uh, this is, and he introduces me to someone, and he's going to kind of walk you through the process of what you do. We're going to start back here where we take the trays, and we just load them into this thing, and we put them through the machine. And uh, I was like, all right, sure, sounds good. And so 
he's going along and he's uh, showing me how it is that they go through this process of cleaning off the plates and then cleaning off the silverware and then putting all the plates in and then all the silverware. The problem was uh, people want silverware more than they want plates. And so we were waiting for silverware to be washed. And so I just kind of common sense in my mind, just grabbed the silverware and I put the plates in and then there was a spot. So I grabbed a whole bunch of silverware and shoved it in there with the plates and put it through the rack. And uh, it goes through and lo and behold, everybody has silverware like a miracle worker. And, uh, and so all of a sudden he comes back and he goes, oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, wait a second. We don't do that. And I was like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, we don't, we don't put silverware with plates. And I was like, why don't we do that? And he's like, well, because then they get all confused. We really, we want plates first, and then we want all the silverware together. I was like, oh, we don't like to do things efficiently then. Is that what we're saying? And he's like, <laughs> that's the way we do it. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So we did that. And um, a bunch of people were complaining because they were waiting for silverware. And, uh, and so I said, hey, have we thought about maybe changing the way we think about things. And, uh, and he said, no, I think we're fine. And I was like, it's a little creepy for what it's worth that you say we all the time. I was like, it's almost like there's maybe more of you in your mind, like we as a group of people. And he's like, well, that's because we here are a family. We're a team. I was like, wow, we're really creeped out by all this. And so if you keep saying we, we will say we as well. Uh, but in either case, uh, in, the, in the days ahead, I found out real quick that this was an environment where we had to, we, now I'm going to be super sensitive to the word we, <laughs> uh, where everyone that came into this environment had to check their brain at the door. Basically, there was no room for innovation. There was no room to consider how things could be done differently. Uh, it was just, this is the way it's been done. At some point, someone determined this, and now everyone that comes behind them must conform to this set of rules and expectations. It didn't work out well for me. Uh, it was not a fit. I was not there long. Um, I parted ways. Uh, the reason I tell the story is because I think it could be replicated in a lot of different environments in a lot of different situations where we're either told to not question, to not ask, to simply check our brain at the door, to fall in line, to conform. And so the question I want us to consider as we move into the text this morning is, why do we think we need to conform in order to belong? Why do we think we need to conform in order to belong. And I want to submit to you today that we think we need to conform because we expect others to conform. Because we expect others to conform. And, and this is a, a human condition. Whether you're a Christian or not, we have a perspective of our preference, the way we want things, and an expectation that people would conform to our way. Now, if you're a mild-mannered person or if you just are a really nice person, you might be like, no, I don't do that at all. I conform to others. <laughs> but that's not the truth. Uh, the reality is um, you just maybe don't express your frustration in the expectation to conform. Well, that's not true either, is it? Because even if you're a really nice person, you only conform for a certain amount of time until finally you say, enough is enough. I'm not going to conform any longer. The reality is, as human beings, we have a preference. And we want people to conform to our way. And the best, most obvious way of seeing that and convincing all of you, because there might be some of you that think, I don't know, I'm not sure 
that I'm like, I mean, don't get me wrong, my spouse is that kind of a jerk, but not so much me um, or my teacher or classmate, whatever it might be. But I'm going to give you some low-hanging fruit of an example that's most obvious, and that's in the way we communicate. The way we communicate. Okay. We speak the way we would want to hear things. We speak according to our preferences, and then we're confused when others don't understand. Like, did you not hear me? No, I heard you. Like, I just don't understand. I said it clearly. I, and what we're really saying is, I said it clearly according to my process, the way mine work, the way my mind works, and what it is that I would need to know in this situation. So I don't understand what your problem is. I said it clearly. We speak the way we want to hear things. We're confused when others don't understand or when they're confused. By the way, um, the way you communicate is, uh, is most kind of expressed in this phrase, and maybe you've never heard it. It's possible that I'm the only one that's ever heard this. Is It's not what you said. It's how you said it, right? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I say that to Meredith all the time. <laughs> Just tears streaming down my face. <laughs> it's not what you said. It's how you said it. Don't hurt me. No, um, we can talk about that later. Uh, Here's the difficult truth. We don't like this at all. But communication is the responsibility of the communicator. Communication is the responsibility of the one communicating. And the reason we hate that is because it shifts the responsibility to us when others are confused or when they're offended or when they're hurt. Because we'd love to say, oh, it's your problem. The problem in the situation is you. The reality is, the responsibility of communication is always on the one communicating. I'll prove it to you. What if I spoke perfectly in a language that none of you knew in this room? I mean, just perfect dialect, whatever the language was, and I said as nicely, as kindly, as pleasantly as I could for you to please all stand in that language that none of you know. None of you would stand, right? You'd just sit there looking at me like, what in the world is he saying? I don't know, but he's smiling. You just smile back. If you've ever been to another country, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, huh, okay. Are we going to die? You know, you're like looking at a translator like, I'm not sure what's happening. You wouldn't stand up. And whose fault would that be? The fault wouldn't be yours, right? The fault is mine because I'm communicating in a language that you don't understand. But if I lacked self-awareness, I'd start to get a little frustrated. I'd repeat it, maybe say it a little bit louder, a little bit more clearly, not so kindly this time. And you'd still look at me pretty confused, like, I want to, I have no idea, I'd love to help, not sure what you're asking. I'd get more and more frustrated and you'd be increasingly confused and you would start to get frustrated. And our differences would define us. Our differences would define us. In that moment, the gap of our inability to communicate would grow wider and more obvious. In fact, I could conclude that the solution is simple. The problem here is that you just need to learn my language. The problem here is you don't know how to speak the language I'm speaking, and so if you would just learn that, then you'd know that I'm being more than kind. And so my expectation in this moment is to conform to me. The problem is you. This is the root of relational issues. 
And so you might say something like this, I'm not going to apologize for being me. It feels like I'm losing myself. You've been in in moments like that where there's an expectation for you to conform to a certain style of communication, to a certain expectation, and you feel like part of you is dying. This relational dynamic is compounded when we come into group environments. In fact, it's why we think we need to conform in order to belong. In order to belong, we feel like we just need to fall in line, that we need to kind of check our brain at the doors, don't ask any questions, and just, you know what, the fight isn't worth it, the frustration is exhausting, let's just conform to whatever it is you want. This is the tension that Paul is addressing in this morning's text. It's underlying the root of the issue that he's addressing. In verse 27, he says, Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Collectively, you're the body of Christ, and yet, individually, members of it. When we keep our individuality in light of who Jesus is, we collectively make a wonderfully diverse and unified body. When we keep our individuality in light of who Jesus is, we collectively make a wonderfully diverse and unified body. The key there is in light of who Jesus is. Because left to ourselves, when we deconstruct our lives with us in the center, when we're the center of our life and and our life is kind of deconstructed into all the pieces, and if we're not careful, we kind of have church and Jesus as one of the slices of our very diverse life. You know, we're so complex, we're, we're a mother, we're a father, whatever those roles might be. And one of the things is, well, we're also a Christian. I mean, that fits too. It's one of the pieces of the pie where I remain the center Lord and leader of my own life. One of those pieces is conformity. It's conformity. Either others must conform to me, or I feel the tension that I must conform to others. And so we're left with a decision. We have to conform or leave, right? That's what happens. Like when I'm sitting there in this cafeteria and this person is saying, we don't do that. What he's basically saying is conform. This is the way it's going to happen. Well, I have a better idea. It doesn't matter. We don't do it that way. Well, I have a thought. Can we? No, we don't do it that way. In fact, we don't dress that way. We don't talk this way. That's not what we do. Conform. Conform or leave. If you don't like it, then go. And so our lives all too often are a series of moments where we've conformed. If you think about it, if you're, if you're honest for a moment about the dif- different rhythms of your life, relationally, in work, in school, whatever the dynamic might be, there's a rhythm of a series of moments where you've conformed and you've lost part of yourselves. Because someone else demanding conformity in order for you to belong. Here's the expectation. Conform. Others of us have a series of broken relationships as evidence of our unwillingness to conform. We've refused to conform, and so as a result, we chose to leave. Leave a job, leave a relationship, In fact, to the point where we don't even feel like we belong in the same room as some family members. Because it's just the root has gone that deep and an unwillingness to conform, to bend, to consider. And maybe the 
The problem is theirs, as it typically is, right? Conform or leave. Sounds kind of depressing, right? We're hardwired. We're hardwired with this desire to put other people into conformity, into our preferences, and yet we're confronted when someone else is doing the same to us to either we conform or we leave, and we're doomed. Thank you for coming to Centerway. God bless you as you go. No, <laughs> That's the tension of the fallen condition of humanity, right? Is that, is that we have these ugly parts of the way that we're all hardwired and it's the reason why marriage is hard it's the reason why you don't like that boss or you can't stand that teacher it's because there's this relational conflict that at at its core is saying my way should be a priority over your way and they're saying the same thing back but i want to tell you there's another way there's another way there's there's an answer in the midst of the tension when we live a life that's gospel-centered. When we live a life where Jesus is in the center, not a slice, not, not church being a piece of some of the things. Well, I'm also a Christian, but instead it's Jesus is the center of my life. When his will and his mission and his heart is the center, then it informs every quadrant of our life. And when that life is deconstructed, one of the pieces is diversity. It's diversity. Diversity with connection. Opposed to conformity with severed relationship. You see, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, the very character of our triune God is diversity with unity. God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amazingly diverse and yet incredibly unified. And it's a picture of this redeemed life. This this better version of living. You see, the very heart of God reflects that we are wonderfully and beautifully different and that diversity should be celebrated. There's a yearning for that in every single one of us. Whether you profess Christ or not, there's a yearning to be amazingly, beautifully different and yet celebrated for our differences. So much so that society is saying, listen, it's okay to be different. In fact, we embrace different. The problem is there's still conflict. It's not an issue of of people being awakened to a higher plane of morality or to to a higher awareness of the greater good that everybody should be loved and accepted. It's a broken root issue of people remaining the center of their lives instead of Jesus. It's a gospel issue. You see, when we say people should be different and celebrated, it's words that don't work because it only goes so far. They're allowed to be different until they're different from me. Then they need to conform. And if we're not careful, the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ will turn more into trying to conform people into our preferences than it will be trying to conform them into the heart and love of God. And we'll say, listen, you have to look this way. Why? Well, that's because that's the way we look. That's the way we dress. That's the way we speak. I have a question. Don't ask questions just be a Christian. 
check the box, attend the church. It's not that way with, with God. Diversity is not only celebrated, it's actually unified when it's on mission. You see, if our diversity actually separates us and pulls us apart, what is it that could ever draw us together? The only thing that will draw people from all different walks of life to collectively come together and say, our differences are inconsequential, is when the mission is larger than any single one of us. That's why you get a group of people from all walks of life, all ages, all different parts of America, and you put them in a room, and you put a United States uniform on them, and you explain the mission. All of a sudden, they don't care about one of them having an accent. They don't care about the way they were raised. They don't care about the socioeconomic status, their race, or anything. They just say, the mission is big. Have you got my back? I've got your back. Why? Because we're a team. And in those moments, we see a picture of what Jesus is talking about in Scripture, what Paul is pushing towards, this idea of unity while being diversified. The problem is, in the world, it's situational. Because why? The mission ends. And as it's ending, we're like, dude, why do you talk that way? (laughs) And we start to realize our differences. But the mission that we're on, the mission that the Word of God is talking about is much larger than one individual. And diversity is only celebrated when it's unified by mission. See, after Paul lists the office gifts and the ministry gifts, he reveals the communal nature of God's gifting by asking what appear to be rhetorical questions. He goes in on verse 29, he says, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And they sound like rhetorical questions, but the reality is uh, they're not actually rhetorical in the original text of Greek. We just don't have a way of translating what it actually says. It's, it's actually a, a Greek word that goes before the question that actually says, essentially, the questions that are about, about to be asked, the answer is no. We have no real way of doing that in the text. And so what Paul is really saying is, um, are all apostles? No, they're not. Are all prophets? No, they're not. And so he's literally, essentially, in the original text saying, no, they're not, no, they're not. So it's not a rhetorical question. The answer is no. The answer is definitively no. He employs that Greek word, and the reason why is because we're created and gifted to live in community. God gives the gifts and he empowers them to function. So if God is the giver of gifts, then we don't have the ability to hold our differences over others on any level. You see, it's our own broken nature and the fact that we can't lay claim to the giftings that we have. Everything good about us is given by the hand of God and everything bad about us is who we are. And when we come to grips with the fact that we, are, um, that we are morally bankrupt and that anything good in us can only be attributed to God, it's there that we find humility. It's in that moment that we say, maybe it shouldn't be my way. Maybe my way is a little bit broken. Maybe it's a little selfish. Maybe my way is about insulating me as the functional savior of my own life as I try to organize and save your life as well. 
We were created to live in community. And a diverse community unified for a mission that's greater than any single one of us. Today's Palm Sunday. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode a, a donkey into Jerusalem. And his disciples, after being with him for three years, every day, every night, his disciples thought it was a mission of conformity. (laughs) They knew, they just knew that they knew that they were riding in to overthrow the Roman government. So much so that they said, can I be on your right hand? Some of them were actually picking their positions in the new kingdom on earth that Jesus would lord over people. This is clearly a mission of conformity. But his mission was not one of conformity at all. It was one of inclusivity. It was a beautiful mission of saying, I am going to live in accordance with the law that you could never fulfill that is literally making you bankrupt. Every day of your life, you fall short, but I will live the life you could never live. And he was entering not to take positional authority, but instead to humble himself, to ultimately lay down his life and to die the death that you and I deserve. Not a mission of conformity, but one of selflessness, where he would ultimately lay down his life be put in a tomb. The story doesn't end there. It wasn't simply for our salvation because the reality is Jesus' atoning death is enough for our salvation. He paid the price for our salvation. The story doesn't end there. And in next week, we'll talk about, when we talk about Easter, he resurrected from the dead. You see, it's the linchpin of the truth of the gospel because in that moment, he doesn't simply have victory over sin. He has victory over death. And so now we can have new life. It means we don't have to come to the place with the struggle of the reality of saying, I must make others conform to me. And I must conform to others in order to belong. But instead, we can walk in the fullness of the reality that because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done, we can all be beautifully different and unified because of who Jesus is. The disciples, they missed it. He was telling them what was going to happen. If you, read, if you read the Gospels, he's literally saying, I'm going to be destroyed. I'll be turned over. He, he's telling them and they're like, you shouldn't say that. His disciples, they pull him aside. They say, hey, don't. What are you talking about dying? That's no good. It's not going to work out well for the palace, right? Because we have this, this vision of how things are going to play out, Jesus. You need to be careful about what you're saying. They missed it. And if we're not careful, so will we. We know the whole story from the beginning to the end. And yet, steeped in the day-to-day reality of what we face, we may actually miss the mission and the heart of God. After Jesus resurrects, he reveals himself to some people 
along the way and ultimately he walks and talks with the disciples and in his transfiguration where he actually um, goes to be with his father, we see at the end of Matthew what we know as the Great Commission. And he looks and he says, as you are going, make disciples. In other words, in case you missed everything that I've been doing, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Tell people about what it is that you have seen, what it is that has been done. Make disciples. You see, the point isn't you. It's not me. It's not conforming others. It's not being conformed by others. It's not financial stability. It's not about planning appropriately for retirement, getting the kids to the right school. Those are all good things. Are they worth giving your one and only life to? For what? 120 years if you're lucky? 120 years? Ooh, check the box. I nailed it. I got a pile of stuff and all my kids are super impressive. Nailed it. It's so useless. It's so meaningless if, if you're living for this much time in light of eternity. This much. I'll give it all for this. I'll rearrange, I'll reorient, I'll do everything. Mm, man, this, whew. It can be taken away in a moment. Not just by death, because we don't like to, to face our own mortality. So we can even be more morbid and just look at history. We could just turn back the clock to, to Germany in the 40s. It's all about this. It's about what I have. It's about what I need. Bomb, bomb, bomb. Gone. All the stuff I've lived my life for. Gone. World War II travesty of the life we live if we live it all for here it could be gone in an instant and then what have we leveraged everything the time the energy all of it towards gone gone because it's not the mission it's not the mission jesus didn't lay down his life and die so that you could get some stuff it's not what your one and only life is all about. Gosh, if it's what your life is all about, I would understand why you might be a little bit depressed. But the mission is greater. This is your one and only life. What are you leveraging it towards? Centerway Church's mission is cultivating a movement which individuals People become gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. That's our mission. That's why we exist. Because we believe that that's what the heart of God is. To be gospel-centered influencers in the marketplace, with our friends, with our family, in wherever you find yourself, in whatever sphere of life that you would be influencing those people for the furtherance of the gospel, that you would be on mission in every setting you're in. And I understand that there are people in this room that are far from God that are saying, what are you talking about? But the reality is, 
even if you're far from God this morning in this place, you want so badly for someone to live a life for something greater than what you see in front of your face. Because you're pretty exhausted living for just that. I know it because I've been there. You're uniquely gifted. Every single person in this room is uniquely gifted for the purpose of a mission to reveal who Christ is. That's why you have your gift. It's it's not to stabilize the institution of an established church. Who cares? Who cares? If it's all about just creating a a church environment, if it's all about building a church, if it's all about uh, conforming people in order to say, hey, we, we do that here. We don't do that. Wow, that is so empty. Because then it's just, an, it's just a nonprofit organization. We got a lot of those. I'm not laying my life down for a nonprofit organization. But if it's the mission of Jesus Christ for the furtherance of the gospel because it's the only answer and we can embrace our diversity and be unified under that, that is a power that has the potential to redeem and change not only a community and a region, but ultimately the world. And so this morning I ask you, as you consider this text and at face value it's very much about giftedness and yet at the core it's about the celebration of diversity and the fact that we're unified under one mission. I have to ask you a question that we ask often. What are the implications of the text this morning? What does it require of you? So we have a a question that I want you to consider as we leave this place and as we respond. In what ways do I need to risk connection? In what ways do I need to risk connection? You see, because if the mission is real and you are uniquely wired and gifted in order to fulfill a part of that body that God wants to to use for great and mighty things as the mission moves forward, then what is it that maybe you need to to risk? Is it time? Energy? Maybe laying down your fear of conformity? For some of you this morning, you need to risk connection by simply saying, I'm going to get off the throne of my own life and ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life. So this morning, for some of you, maybe the application is to surrender your life, to risk the connection with the Savior, to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And I want to tell you this morning, it's as simple as that, to pray a prayer that says, I am a sinner, but God, you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It's that easy. If that's your application, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. For others of you, risking connection looks a little different. We, uh, we unrolled an opportunity for people to serve in a, uh, in a specific way, in different ways last week, and people jumped right in on that, which is pretty cool. But you have the opportunity to maybe consider how it is that you serve here. That maybe you roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk stepping in here. 
we're going to uh, start what we call circles. It's an opportunity for people to gather during the week and to come together and do life together, to eat some food and hang out and get to know people and then discuss the application question that we, that we talked about this week and, and to, to do life in a more structured way. Because we believe that discipleship happens in four quadrants. That there's the whole group like this, that there are smaller groups of people that gather, that there's one-on-one opportunities for people to be discipled, and that there's also the individual responsibility for you to pursue a relationship with Christ. And so we've been uh, vacant in our, uh, in our small grouping of people, and it's because in a lot of ways we've been a small group. And so as we've grown, we're providing opportunity now to, to allow circles to come into play. And so following today's message, one of the applications might be to risk signing up for that, to say, I'll be a part of a circle. Me and Meredith are leading the, the first group, and so you'll have a way to do that, the next steps area. For others of you, it's, uh, it's risking signing up for a workshop. We have a, what's called a Centerway Clarity Workshop. It's going to be on May 5th. It's going to be three hours long, and it's going to clarify what it is that Centerway is all about, clarify the way that you're gifted, your personality, how it is that you fit into where it is that we're headed. We're going to talk about our doctrine and whether or not you agree, and then how we can function in agreement. So there's more explanation for that as well. But I want to put those application pieces out before you because there's practical ways for you to say, you know what, I'm going to risk connection by saying, I want to sign up for that. I want to be a part of that. I'll raise up my hand. It's, it's a little bit risky, but I want to be a part of the body in the way that I can contribute. For others of you this morning, you might be sitting there and saying, listen, I've crossed the line of faith. I've been serving. I'm all about, I'm all about circles. I can't wait to be a part of that circle. <laughs> Maybe you're like, listen, I, I don't know, but I'll be at that workshop when it happens. I can't wait. And you're sitting there saying, but what, what is it that I can do beyond those obvious things? And I would ask you, how are you living the mission that Jesus has laid out before you? Are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Is it possible that one day you will stand face to face with your Savior and that he'll look at you and say, hey, come on in, my good and faithful servant. You're in. But just so I know, what did you do with the one thing I asked? Did you make disciples? I want that to wreck you this morning. It wrecks me every day. Because I can answer a lot of questions about how I've been responsible in a lot of different areas of my life. I'm not, I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not perfect in a lot of ways, but I work so hard to be the best that I can. And at the end of the day, when this life is over, what did I do with the one things Jesus asked me to do? Did I make disciples? So maybe that starts by taking the, the card that you got this morning or a pile of them and inviting some people to join you to Easter next week. Maybe it means just being on mission, saying, listen, there's scriptural precedent to invite people. There's scriptural precedent saying, listen, I just, if I just get you in front of Jesus, read the story of Nathaniel, get your, if I can just get you in front of Jesus, you'll hear, you'll see. And so are you inviting? There's some low-hanging fruit 
to be in the mission of God. You don't have to answer their questions. He doesn't do that. He just says, I'm going to get you in, in Jesus' presence. I'm not going to have a theological argument with you. I'm not going to answer your question. Just come with me. I'll buy you lunch. <laughs> so as we go into a time of response, I want to ask you all just to bow your heads. If you want to keep your eyes open, you can. Just look at the ground because I don't want you to be distracted as the, the music team comes up here. As they prepare to conclude things this morning, this is an opportunity for us to respond in worship. To allow the things that, that maybe the Lord's putting his finger right on in our hearts and minds. Say, okay, I'm going to do something about that, Lord. So we're going to respond in worship and we're going to contemplate what the application of our lives might be. I'll come back up after they're done and talk a little bit more about maybe what it is that the Lord is asking us to do in response. If you'd like to, to stand, you can feel free to do that. If you'd like to sit and make yourself a, a to-do list of things that maybe need to be adjusted or changed, you can feel free to do that as well. I'm going to simply pray a, pray a prayer and uh, then we're going to go into a response. Lord, I'm thankful that we're not defined by how we're different. But we're defined by who you say that we are. That our identity is child of God. And that you've gifted us differently. And that you're speaking to us differently this morning. And so we simply declare ourselves available. Lord, as we respond today, we make ourselves available. Your spirit would speak to us for your glory and our joy.